honor this morning to bring the word. We're doing a two-part teaching series. So we're going to ask our AV team if we can transition um, to our slides. And <clears throat> this teaching series is called Bullseye. You can see here. What I like sometimes about doing a mystery title, I call this a mystery title, because you're probably sitting here right now thinking, I wonder what this teaching series is going to be about. I like to keep you guessing. Uh, I like to keep myself guessing. It keeps us on our toes. Um, I'm not a fan of everything being obviously, obviously, obviously obvious. Uh, And so bullseye, Uh, there's all different types of themes that we could run with with bullseye. Um, and it's funny because this usually doesn't happen, but what happened with this as I prepared this series is God gave me the title of this message before the message itself. That usually doesn't happen. Usually I get the message and then I come up with kind of like some type of an appropriate title. And so God said, I want you to call this next thing bullseye. And I'm like, okay, cool. All right. So what's the message? And, uh, he said this, I want the people to be on track. I want them to be focused and I want them to be aligned. And I said, that's great. They're all cool, cool themes, God. Can you give me more, some more specifics around that? And um, he was, he just basically then said social media to me. And I said, okay, God, wh- wh- where are we going with this? And he said, my sheep are being fed stuff on social media that's not hitting the bullseye. And I said, God, what, what are you talking about? And he said in, you know, he was just sharing this with me. He showed me this vision. And he said in a globalized world and in the information age the world is in, he was sharing with me that, unfortunately, uh, a lot of people anchor themselves to teaching and to philosophies and beliefs that they can access on the internet, but are not necessarily anchored appropriately to their local church setting. And the, the God was saying to me that a lot of people are feeding spiritually off stuff, but they're not actually connecting properly to what's being taught in their local church. Now, why is it important? Are we saying that you can never get any teaching outside of your local church? Of course not. That's ridiculous. There's great resource around. What I feel like God wants to kick us off with in this two parts is to say this. The local church is designed for healthy accountability. Because sometimes there is teaching that's off. In fact, you can get teaching online that's 90% great, but 10% of it is rat poison. And if you dislike all these people that seem really charismatic, right, and really convincing and have great godly attitude and oomph, but you, you don't actually go to your local church, spiritual covering or authority, and say, hey, I just want to check in with you. I'm starting to feed off this person online. What are your thoughts? Can you check it out for me? Because I want to say to you, be careful. There's some stuff online that's just not cool. There's stuff where people are, are teaching stuff that seems really good, but there's underlying tones and currents of them being uber critical of the local church then being uber critical, the churches ain't doing the right thing anymore, and being uber critical of authority. And so you can feed off stuff online and feed your individual Christian walk and get puffed up with a sense of attitude of what's right or wrong. But if you don't actually align it or submit it to actually checking in with some mentors who you know and you walk in life with, then you can actually fall into a dangerous place. Let me say this to you. 
if you're getting your yes and amen, your oomph from someone online, and yet you have a practical need, and if you private message them, and let's say they have 5,000 followers, and they love it when you like their videos, they love it when you like their quotes, they love it when you share their posts, because you're building their fan base. But if you send them a private message, hey brother, I'm in need this week, can you help me out? As in, can you come and have a cup of coffee with me and pray with me, lay hands on with me, walk me through something, sit down with me, mentor me. So what I'm trying to say is, be careful how much value you place on someone that you can applaud via the gatosphere. That's no word, I'm just making it up. The, the gatosphere, the, 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 the massive thing of online. Oh, I like this brother. Oh, I share that brother. Oh, you're preaching that brother. But yet, will that brother sit down with you as a father? And have a coffee with you. And actually look into your eyes and eyeball you. And lay hands on your shoulder and pray for you. When you're in a, in, a, in a real specific time of need. Because if that person isn't willing to do that. Because they're over in South Africa. Or they're over in Iceland. Right? You need to be anchoring yourself to local church people. And you can be blessed by online resource. To complement what you're feeding for the local church. But brother, sister, if you're leading with that feeding, you've got to be careful that there isn't 1%, 2%, 5% that's a bit of rat poison that's causing your attitude, that's causing your mindset, that's causing you to actually get out of alignment and not on track with how you should be relating with other believers. If you put more value on how you relate with someone that you're a fan of online and you're acknowledging them, and you're respecting them, and you're honoring them, and you're sharing their posts, and you're going, oh, this is very, but you can't actually respect and honor someone in your local church, well, that's not on target. I want to say this to you. We're in a very challenging age where it's very easy to applaud and like things that you don't have to directly relate to. Dr. Bill Hammond, who's the head of Christian International, he's over 80 years of age. He's a grandfather in the faith. He has this beautiful comment. In all of his years of ministry and being a parent, not just a spiritual father, but a practical father, he says this. He says, when you hang out with oxen, understand that sometimes there's going to be stuff that come out of oxen that doesn't smell great. What is he saying? Doing life with people in your local church isn't always easy. Because all of us, me included, we all have our stuff. That kind of stinks sometimes. I don't know about you, but all my stuff doesn't smell like honey. Right? But right there, that's the reality check of what we're called to do as Christians. And there is a movement which is very popular right now, which is from social media, criticizing what the local church isn't or isn't doing. Now, let me just say this. There are many examples of local churches who aren't on bullseye either. There's examples of toxic leadership on the earth today in local churches. I'm not here to deny that. In fact, I at times sometimes talk about that. That's why the local church itself, i.e. your leaders, have to be accountable to other people as well. Because we all have blind spots. But my, my starting point is this. If you really want to grow in God and you really want to be a true disciple, then you need to be on target with the biblical model of how to be made into a disciple. 
And that is you need to be rooted in a local church. What do I mean by rooted? Planted, connected. And that means relationally, you need to be able to walk through life, even if someone's stuff appears on the side when you're walking past them and it smells a little bit, not to use that as ammunition to throw it back at them and go, see, this is why I don't want to relate with you. Just because someone online is preaching a message encouraging you to pick up the dong that someone just left because they're not perfect and throw it back in their face. Love covers a multitude of sin. Does that mean we should permit sin? No. But in a local church authority, in a local church setting, it's important to honor each other and to understand what does God say about how we do this? And the danger is we can access all these gurus online who call themselves evangelists, who call themselves spiritual authorities, and yet how aware are you of the actual authority that they're under? How aware are you of the actual spiritual journey that they've gone through? How aware or unaware of the level of offense that they may still have in their heart because they were hurt by a local church, and that's why they're sprouting so much convicting messages against the local church. If your answer is, well, I'm not really aware, well, my challenge to you is, why would you be feeding off someone or something when you're not really aware where they're getting all their stuff from and what their motivation is? So it's about bullseye, Right? It's about getting in alignment and getting on track. Because I'm telling you, more so than ever, you can get off track easily. Because you can feed off stuff. Who here has ever heard of niching? Niching is a business term that's really popular right now, which is the way to get traction is you can niche. You can niche in, mar- in marketing, which means you can focus very specifically on one particular target group, and just speak to that particular target group with a particular message to get more cut through. Now, I want to say this to you. There is so much ability to access so many different opinions online that watch this. If you're in a season with a strong opinion that you blindly aren't in in aware that it's actually not aligned to what God is saying or what God wants, but you think it is, You can right now conveniently, everyone say conveniently. You can conveniently go online and you can conveniently probably find at least five, if not ten, other people around the world who have the same opinion as you, who are sprouting it with conviction and their own sense of self-acclaimed authority, quoting scriptures, and you can like all their pages and keep reading all their messages in your news file and keep feeding yourself the regurgitated kind of justification of other people to solidify your opinion, and you can sit there on your little perch and think, I'm so on target. (laughs) These people, my brothers and sisters that I'm fans of, they know what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Amen to you. Amen to you. I'm going to share it. I'm going to like it. Ooh, I'm going to even put a heartbeat on that one. Mm -mm. (laughs) I might even make a personal comment when I share it. Ooh, yeah, it's justifying my opinion. Now, if you're sitting here today and thinking, I've come up with this message just to speak to you as an individual, that's an example of pride. <laughs> this message is for all of us, myself included. Everyone say balance. balance. 
being on track. Let's have a look at this next slide. False belief. <laughs> We're going to take a little bit of a pivot now. That was my introduction. But a pivot. <clears throat> the pivot here is that uh, more so than ever, I believe, uh, we can be in a generation where even the foundation of our beliefs are not right. Where we have all these kind of concepts of what the church should be, what the church isn't, what's evangelism, what's being judgmental, what's not being judgmental, what's the difference between grace and conviction and you know, what should we do? Should we sleep before we're married? Oh, yes, we should sleep before we're married because that's just what the world does and people are too religious. No, we shouldn't sleep before we're married because the Bible says. I mean, there's so much of a rocking and forward. You know, what is, do we have any children here under the age of 15 in this auditorium right now? We do? Okay. So you might just want to check in because I'm going to talk about specifics. So you might want to check in with your mum and dad if they want them in here. Um, it's all good. I just want to do that first, if that's cool. All right. Um, I want to go there today. You know, when the Bible says not to, um, not to have sex before you're married, so what is sex? Does that mean, um, I'm going to get specific here, so we might have a cover there is. Is that okay if I get specific? I'm not going to get, I'm not going to say anything different. I'm not going to swear, <laughs> okay? Some of you are looking at me really worried. But I'm going to talk as a father today. Is that all right? Yeah. You know, yeah, but no sex before marriage. But what is that? You know, is it okay to have oral sex? Yeah, that's okay. Well, can I say to you, no, it's not okay. I'm going to be really clear and upfront with you. Okay? Um, I think we live in a generation where it's like, where is the foundation of our beliefs? And have we really got a cemented? And if we've been Christians for a while, are we protecting those foundations? Because if we don't have the foundation right, you can't really build anything beyond the foundational level if your foundation isn't solid. I want to say this to you. A couple of uh, weeks ago, I preached a very strong, challenging message. And I preached passionately like I was kind of preaching at a football team, cheering them on, right? And the mic kind of went, whoosh, and I was rah. And I was really talking about consecration. And I was saying, if you really, we were talking about being planted. And I said, if you really want to commit to growing in God, then you've got to make sure you have a season of consecration. Uh, another word is sanctification. You've got to separate yourself from the world. If you've just come out of the world and you're newly saved, wisdom says you have to have a season of consecration. You've got to separate yourself from the world. You've got to cut off that thing in order to starve it so it doesn't have a hold over you. You can't be one foot in and one foot out. And I suppose the linkage to that message a couple of weeks ago, and kind of where I'm starting at is this, is that... Um, if you don't establish a very clear foundation on the principles and the Word of God and get, get clear on what your beliefs are and what the Word of God says, if you don't get that foundation right, it's very hard for you to build anything fruitful long-term if you don't have the right foundation. You'll be uh, tossed to and fro. The Bible, we're going to look at a scripture. It talks about different doctrines. You know, in five years' time, there's going to be another latest thing about the extreme prophetic teaching online. And that you need to do this and you need to do that to really press into God. Well, hang on a second. Let's just test that on the Word of God. Let's test that the local church. What does my local church authority say about that? Let's, let's, let's get some spiritual counsel around that before I start feeding on this stuff. You know, if I, if I start to hear, you know, that some of my friends uh, who are in young adults 
uh, dating relationships, and their attitude or their opinion is, oh, yeah, it, doesn't, it says not to have sex before marriage, but oral sex is okay. Well, okay, well, uh, that oral sex is okay because that's what they believe. No, what is your foundation? Come on. What is your foundation and, and how established and solidified is it? Do you understand what God says about certain things? And you may be new, and so my challenge to you is, is don't underestimate how important it is to get the foundation right. If you're not new to God and you've been walking with God for a season, um, then my challenge to you is, is, are you allowing your foundations to be watered down? Are you allowing the worldly system via a lot of stuff online through the media to start to kind of get you to think and, and think about you know, what your beliefs are and you're starting to water down what the foundation of the Word says? I'm standing here before you as someone who was sexually active before I became a Christian, very sexually active, in fact, ridiculously sexually active. Let's just say that, okay? (laughs) And when I became a Christian, I had a six-month period, which was a massive wrestle. Oh, I can love Jesus and His grace. I can still sleep around, can't I? And I I was doing this. I want to still sleep around, (laughs) but I want you, Jesus. Now watch this. In the war that took place in six months, I wrestled within myself. And I got to a decision. It wasn't the right one. The decision was, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm going to get into this Christian thing because I love God. God has totally impacted my life. But you know what? I think sex before marriage is okay. I'm going to keep doing it. And then God said, go and talk to Andrew. Now, who's Andrew? He was my mentor. I said, hey, Andrew, love Jesus, love the church, it's all great. But I just want to, you know, the Bible says you can't have sex before you're married. Come on, it's like, <laughs> it's the year 2000, which it was. I mean, it's the year 2000. We've got the Sydney Olympics coming up. I mean, it's a whole new decade. It's a whole new era. Like, that's kind of like what the Bible was for, you know, people back in the tradition days. But, like, we can love Jesus and embrace the grace of God. But, you know, I mean, we don't really have to follow that, do we? You better believe it. Oh, really? Why? Because there's benefits in following the principles of God. Oh, really? What's that? The benefits are that if you particularly someone who's been very sexually active, now come into your walk with God, you need to learn how to actually get dominion over your sexual desire because you've been letting it run like a brumby, wild. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever it feels like doing. (laughs) (laughs) You've never encountered or felt like, "What what does it actually feel like to put a bridle on that thing and to break that horse in and to tell it where it needs to sit, where it needs to stand, that you get control over that thing. Have you ever had an experience, Brad, in actually getting dominion over your sexual desire? I felt like saying two words. But I just said one. No. So he said, well, let me ask you this. Let's say you decide to embrace the whole Jesus thing but you keep going and letting your brumby run wild. <laughs> and then you get in relationship with a girl that you like at church, and then your brumby gets even more excited because... 
But then to protect her innocence, right, and your marriage, you're asked not to kind of go too far, right? And your Brumby has got to go within an instant from <laughs> to... <laughs> within an instant. Do you think you're going to be able to tame that wild horse like that? Uh-uh. You need time, brother. Time to bring that horse in. Whoa, boy. And then, once you're breaking in, you're in a season where you've learned how to actually have dominion over your sexual desires. So after you get married, and then you're able to bless the covenant of God, no actual physical analogy there. But then years go on, and years go on, and gravity means things start to fall. So you and your bride weren't the fit couple that they used to be. And then you're in your 40s, and you're in an elevator, and you're stressed because you're overseas on a business trip. Your wife's at home with the kids, and you've got bills to pay, you believe in God. As you have a stressful day in the boardroom, you go in the elevator on your way to your hotel room. And this beautiful, attractive filly walks in the elevator. (laughs) And she winks at you. And says, hi there. Would you care to come to the bar and have a drink with me? Or whatever happens. He said, if you haven't tamed that Brumby, when God asks you to start taming that Brumby, to set you up for a fruitful generational blessing into your marriage and beyond, so not only you and your wife are protected, but your children are protected, and you don't fall into consequential sin. Do you know that it all starts here? So false beliefs, it's only wrong if you don't get caught. That is a false belief. And I will say this to you as a father, heart towards you. And I'm not a perfect dad or a father or a perfect leader, but God is. And God has asked me, in a fresh way, wherever you are, however old you are, whether you're married, you're single, whether you're in a relationship, whether you're divorced, whether you're dreaming again about maybe a resurrection in a relationship, whatever, wherever you're at. Don't fool yourself with watering down the foundation of the Word of God. Because it will never lead to fruitfulness. It may lead to quick, instant gratification, but it, there will always be consequences. And so I did that. You know, can I tell you, if I, we didn't even have Facebook when I got saved. So the reality is, listen to this one. This is important. I couldn't access the gurus of the evangelism, self-appointed cool guy who has charisma and does his Facebook Live thing, right? And you have no idea who he's accountable to, right? Because he's too busy or she's too busy going off about what's not right about the kingdom of God, right? To get 20,000 likes. When I got saved, you couldn't access any of that. I mean, in order to access any resource outside your local church, you either had to go to a conference 
where you had to buy cassettes. It cost like 170 bucks. <laughs> right? And so there was accountability where I was thinking stuff that was off. And I went to my mentor and I said, what do you think? And he said, whoa, no, it's not right. Let's build the right foundation in your beliefs. Does that make sense? Cool. So let's have a look at this next slide. Ephesians 4.14 says this, Then we will no longer be babies. We will not be tossed about like a ship that the waves carry one way and then another. That's talking about double-mindedness, church. God has not designed you to be confused or double-minded. That's why he wants to cement in the foundation of the word to cement in your beliefs so that you have a sturdy platform in life to shoot forth from. If that foundation is rocky, or you keep injecting stuff that actually isn't mean to be injected. You're kind of feeding off stuff that's actually not on bullseye. It's not on target. It's not really aligned with the word. It's kind of got percentage of it that's good, but there's underlying stuff that's actually off. It causes you to take offense with people where you shouldn't. It causes you to be confused. It creates double minus. It means that you're being tossed and forth. We will not be influenced by every new teaching we hear from people who are trying to fool us. Come on, let's be up front here. Before the internet, there were TV evangelists. The bakers. Ever heard of the bakers? Anyone heard of Tammy and Baker? I'm not here to criticize them. But it's very clearly reported that they, they treated people like fools. They basically asked for offerings. They wanted to create fans. And they wanted to have a lifestyle around it. So there you go. I'm willing to admit there's toxic leadership at times. But they were held accountable. They were called out. And they went to prison. A journalist interviewed... Jimmy Baker, he's from a Christian magazine, and he said, Jimmy, you're a great TV evangelist, but you obviously loved money too much. What ultimately was the number one reason why you're in prison? And he said, the answer that I'm going to tell you, you're probably going to laugh at, but it's the truth. So let me explain after I tell you. And the journalist says, sure, what is it? He says, it's the grace of God for why I'm here. The journalist said, the grace of God. Come on, Jimmy. Such a religious TV evangelist answer. Just be real with me. You ripped thousands of people off. Why are you in here? He said, no, listen to me. He said, I had such a strong revelation of the grace of God. But I didn't have enough of a revelation of the fear of God. Because every time I kept taking that money, putting it in my own bank account and ripping people off, I kept saying to God, thank you, God, that you're going to forgive me. Every time, thank you, God, that you're going to forgive me. See, it's a wrong belief to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. We have areas where we fall in, but to keep doing something and keep doing something and keep doing something and keep doing something and thinking, all right, as long as no one knows, as long as no one knows, as long as no one knows, but God knows. So I want to say this to you. As a father heart towards you. I brought a word on Wednesday night at Impact, a prophetic word, where it talked about in Joshua that the key for the new generation to come into the promises of God 
is they had to be circumcised. The, the young men were in the wilderness, were born in the wilderness, but they were uncircumcised. Now, the circumcision of the flesh represents the cutting off of the flesh. They had to become you know, people who were above reproach. As soon as the nation, the boys, were circumcised, the exact next chapter talks about then God positioned and walked into the promised land. So it was about discipline. It was about getting the foundation right, following God's principles. If you have a very strong revelation of God's grace, will he continue to forgive you? Yes, I mean, he keeps forgiving Jimmy Baker. Hopefully Jimmy Baker's learned. But it's the fear of God that actually will propel you into your promises, not necessarily the grace of God. Are you hearing that? Let me ask you again, are you really hearing it? I think sometimes we misunderstand the fear of God. It's not about being afraid of God. It's about respecting God. Now, if you're here today and you've had sex before you're married, well, the grace of God washes over you and continues to wash over you. But let me say this. God is always looking for you to go to a new level. He's always wanting you to grow. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you're at. This word is not about locking you into your past mistakes. This word is about lifting you into your future glories. I'm someone who can't point the finger. I slept with so many people before (laughs) I was married. But one thing I can stand before you and say this to you. And whether you fit this example or you don't fit this example, let me be an encouragement to you. Because I got that mentoring and I worked on the foundation of the word, I didn't have sex. And then I actually met this girl. It wasn't Sarah. We dated for a year. It didn't work out. Cool takeaway from, from, for me was I worked out what I didn't want. Amen. <laughs> no disrespect to her. She also worked out what she didn't want. And then after that relationship, at a six-month period, where it was like praying for my future wife. And then God directed me towards Sarah, and the courting started. When Sarah and I first got together, we courted for six months. And then we dated for like 18 months. And then we were engaged for a year before we got married. So add that up. That's two and a half years, right? No, two, three years. Three years from when we first said we're interested in each other to when we actually had any type of physical intimacy. Obviously, we kissed, we held hands. But let me say this to you. What were the boundaries? Let me bless some people here. If you're in a relationship and you're not married or you're about to get in a relationship and you don't know it yet, <laughs> be very clear on your boundaries. We say to people when they're in youth, before you go to school, is know what you're going to do and know what you're not going to do. This word's going on a slightly different angle than what I planned, but I'm just going with the Holy Spirit. Is that okay? We caught it for six months. Why do we caught it for six months? One, most of you don't know. Of course, because I look very young for my age. No, just joking. (laughs) But I'm seven years older than Sarah. (gasps) Shokara. No, it's probably not a surprise to you. But because of that, we caught it for six months. Uh, which was my decision because 
I knew I needed to probably get Greg and Julie's approval. Some of you heard the funny stories. What does courting mean? It means, Sarah, I want to let you know that I'm physically attracted to you, that I like you, that I like the idea of maybe being your boyfriend. But right now, I want to invest in building the friendship, but with you knowing that I like you in that way. And if you're interested, if you're caught with me, then I want you to confirm you're interested in me that way as well. And that you're interested in eventually having a relationship, but we're just going to develop the friendship. And we take ourselves off the market. I'm just getting really practical with you. That's what courting is. Okay? Now, some of you may be saying, yeah, that's old school. <laughs> well, I'm telling you, I don't care how old school it is. Man, it was good. Then, we, after six months, I said to Sarah, so do you think it's time for me now to ask your mum and dad whether, you know, I can get their permission for you to be my girlfriend? Sarah looks at me. She goes, well, don't you think you should ask me first? <laughs> so we're recording, but I hadn't asked it. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Would you like to be my girlfriend? <laughs> well, of course, she said. <laughs> i never forget it. We're having fish and chips on the Gold Coast overlooking the broad water. <coughs> And then I went and asked, so I went and asked Greg and Julie's permission to court. We courted for six months. Just holding hands, no kissing in courting, no kissing. This was just me. I'm not saying that this is, this is biblical. I'm just saying it's fruitful to ask God. Some people may do it slightly differently. That's cool, right? You may default, define court, courting as slightly different. You might hold hands and kiss, but, you know, you don't hug or whatever it is, right? But for us, it was just holding hands was the most thing that we would do. Courting, right? Then going out for 18 months. I'm going to be really specific with you. Is that okay? Not ridiculously weirdly specific. And so when we started going out, boyfriend and girlfriend, this is what the boundaries were. We could kiss, but not for too long. Because science says is that when you kiss for too long, your body is designed to shift gears. Here we go. Let's get specific. The guy is like a helicopter, straight up. The girl's more like an airplane. Reverse sound on the tarmac. Get position. Get the engines running. And then we're going warm up, warming 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 up. Take off! So extended kissing. Means a helicopter's flying in the air. Woo! Yeah, I'm ready. Woo! And the longer you kiss, the more that airplane is warming up, wanting to take off. And so you can get to a certain point where there is no return. Once that airplane is going a certain speed, So no extended kissing. What does that mean? Pretty much we kiss for the most five seconds. Sometimes we struggled and we went a bit longer. Sometimes we came up for a breath and went, oh, that was too long.
Uh, we hugged. We held hands. Uh, I, at times, put my hand on Sarah's leg. Thigh here. That was it. I love the person went, ooh, in the crowd. I'm like, you and I can have a coffee and we'll compare. <laughs> Get your judginess out of this house, in Jesus' name. <laughs> you and I, have a chat later. I don't know who you were, but... Get your ooh out of here. I'm being upfront on us, and I'm talking to people honestly here. I didn't put it inside her thigh, whoever that was. I put it on her leg, and she had clothes on. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <clears throat> no removal of clothes whatsoever. Now, some of you, can I be really frank? Some of you might be saying, oh, really, this is pretty obvious. Well, can I give you a newsflash? It's actually not obvious to some people. In fact, I'm having to help some people out right now with this. So please don't sit there and go, well, this is obvious, because you might have had great teaching back in the 1970s. <laughs> right? So please don't, don't be judgmental when I'm, I'm bringing this teaching. Because I'm honestly, as a father, trying to do a group mentoring session here right now. I mean, we were strict. We, uh, we had, to, had to have Sarah home no later than midnight. We were not allowed to be in the same place by ourselves. Right? What do I mean by that? Could we go to the movies? I'm talking about like, as in... We couldn't uh, come home to Sarah's house and there, there's no one there. Could never go upstairs. Right? Always had to be downstairs. So upstairs were all the bedrooms at Greg and Julie's house. Obviously, going into bedrooms was a no-no. Right? We couldn't even go upstairs. Couldn't be in the house without someone there. Right? Obviously, you could go to the movies, have a date, and all that type of thing. What else? Let me make it really clear. Not touching any of the chest area, whether it's the guy or the girl. No. That was not in at all allowed, right? Because that is full on a stirring. No touching of any part of the backside, the, f- the front parts, right? Some people in Christendom, think it's okay to have oral sex because that's not intercourse. Can I just tell you? That's so not right. Let me put that boundary very clear here. You need to understand how God's wired you sexually and that sometimes it's a stages. It's a stages thing. Sometimes it gets to a place where it just doesn't matter how spiritual you are. It's very hard to say no when you get to a certain point. So wisdom says don't even go right near the boundary. Now, I just feel to do this. <laughs> All right. Just to clear this up, because what I don't want is I don't want anyone accusing me when I'm trying to set the right example. When I said I put my hand on Sarah's leg, Leroy, brother? How are you? <laughs> Good. There was no squeezing, leaning into the inner thigh. So I just want to make that clear. 
because I don't want any false accusation coming from me being vulnerable and bringing teaching here today. It's important if we're a house, a community called to make disciples, that I bring this teaching and I bring this mentoring without a hesitation. Because I received it. And let me just say this. Maybe, just maybe, we can wrongfully assume that people just get this. And I think it's not just new Christians. I think it's people who have been Christians for years and then they come into relationship. But for whatever reason, the solidification of their foundation of their understanding of the word has been impacted by the worldly system. Now again, if you've fallen, well, the grace of God is there for you. But can I say this? Get the boundaries right. Get the boundaries right. Can we have a look at this next slide? The making of you. <coughs> Beliefs, values, actions. You can see here the dotted line says what's visible. Your choices, your behaviors, and your actions that eventually become your habits, they're all founded on this. If this is shaky, if this isn't solid, if you don't get clarity around what actually is this, what do you really believe? I'm just using one example of sex before marriage. But there's all the different things around, you know, what are our beliefs around our finances? What are our beliefs around marriage? What are our beliefs around the Word of God? What are our beliefs around the local church? What are our beliefs around ministry? What are our beliefs around evangelism? What are our beliefs around relating to people, working, whatever it is? And then that cements in our values and that impacts our actions. I think sometimes we try so hard to make this look right, but we don't spend enough time actually investigating what's actually here at the foundation. And so that's my challenge to you today, being on target, actually hitting the mark for God's standard, not about being perfect, but about growing in the things of God. Being a true disciple of Jesus Christ is about allowing yourself, giving yourself the bravery to explore where am I really at here when it comes to my beliefs and are they aligned to, work, to the word of God? Am I allowing worldly teaching, worldly systems to impact me? Let's have a look at this next slide. <clears throat> these are the stats right now. <clears throat> young people who lack a basic biblical belief system. Now, it's not just young people, but this is how it's impacting young people. These are the current stats. Young people who lack a basic biblical belief system. Now, this obviously relates to non-Christians, because if someone's a non-Christian, they're not going to have a biblical belief system. But what this is directly doing is it's comparing the worldly system compared to a strong foundation of biblical belief system and the different impact that it has on young people and people in general. But it's particularly looking at young people. Young people who lack a basic biblical belief system are 225% more likely to be angry in life, 216% more likely to be resentful, 
210% more likely to lack purpose in life. 200% more likely to be just disappointed in life. 36% more likely to lie to a friend. Isn't that interesting how the percentage drops right down? <laughs> so if you have a biblical belief system, it's still not at 200% less likely. <laughs> 48% more likely to cheat. It's interesting. 200% more likely to steal. 200% more likely to physically hurt someone. 300% more likely to use illegal drugs. Now, not if you're a Christian or if you understand the Bible, if you've given your heart to Jesus. If you don't have a basic biblical belief system, you're 300% more likely to use illegal drugs. You could be a Christian. You could worship Jesus. You could come to church, but not have a basic biblical belief system. If we go back to the chart before, we don't have to actually go there. But if you don't have the foundation, this is why the transformation of the mind, getting into a local church, being discipled, getting in a circle, getting the word of God. Oh, can I say to you, it's not just about coming and hearing one message and, and getting a bit of kick in worship. No, it's about getting transformed by the renewing of your mind. You've got to, to build the foundation in. Where is the foundation of your basic biblical belief system? And who are you feeding off? Are you feeding off some guy that 20,000 people are a fan of, but yet is he or she not accountable to anyone? And what are they feeding you? Do you know where it's coming from? Is it under any accountability? Maybe the motivation is he's just or she's saying stuff just because it gets lots of likes, because there's lots of jaded people out there. I mean, let's be honest. If I got on Facebook and I did a live video, here's my phone. A role play. Hey, Global Church, it's Pastor Brad here from Brisbane. Hope you're doing well. Hey, Tan. Hey, Greg. Nice to see you. <laughs> my big smile. Just taking myself out there. Well. Hey, I want to do a shout out to all the Christians out there. Hey, if you've ever had someone in your local church that's annoyed you or bugged you and you thought, you know what, they really don't have their life aligned to Christ and they really should get their act together. I want you to just make a comment down below saying, yeah, that's me too. Just do hashtag, yeah, that's me too. Oh, wow, they're flooding in. Thousands, thousands, yeah. Well, let me say this to you. Brother, you need to stand up in your own authority and you need to decree to that person and tell them to get their life sorted because there's a, some spirit thing on them right now and you need to, to get them sorted and you should, you should do that in the name of Jesus. Hey, Greg. Yes, brother, I agree. Well, guys, I'm just going to, Send that message. I hope it blesses people because you know what? The local church and the church itself really needs to get itself sorted out. All right. Well, bless you. Until my next post, see you later. <laughs> and then that girl and that guy, they drive off, drive off in their car going, mm-hmm. I'm one authoritarian person in Christ. I just did my latest post and I've got 15K likes. That's 15,000 likes. <laughs> That's not a biblically-based belief system if you're feeding off stuff like that. No, come on. What does God say about the local church? What does God say about teaching? What does God say about structure? What does God say about order? What does God say about honor? What does God say about uh, sex before marriage? What is, 
understanding those things. Now, you learn those things in a local church that's accountable to other network of local churches where there's full-fledged accountability, where there's sound doctrine. Everyone say sound doctrine. It's important to get sound doctrine in your life because it has benefits. Let's look at the next slide. We can lack foundational beliefs. Next slide. So the first thing is, is there are distorted beliefs about God. I'm just going to have my phone back, brother. Is that okay? It's just on the Bible there. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Is everyone still with me? Distorted beliefs about God. Let's have a look at this next slide. Interesting. This is... Uh, a survey done by a media outlet called Newsweek. Anyone here heard of Newsweek? And they did a study around what teens believe. Their answers were as individual as the teens themselves. One thought God was like his grandfather. He's there, but I never see him. Another took a harder view, describing an evil being who wants to punish me all the time. Two more opinions followed. Finally, the last teen weighed in. I think you're all right because that is what you really believe. So this person says, you know what? Your opinion's right, your opinion's right, your opinion's right, your opinion's right. Because at the end of the day, it's what you think is true for you. In other words, God is whatever works for you. On this, all of the youth agreed. Every single person actually sat down and agreed with this last opinion. Here at the end of the day, whatever is true for you is true. Everyone say, dangerous. That's a false belief about God. It's not true that whatever you feel or whatever you think must be true for you. That is a false belief. Whatever you feel, whatever you think, whatever your opinion is at the time, is true. Because what it does is then it takes away the... The, the, the key element of that there actually is a truth and for us to seek out what that is in order to build a right foundation. Let's have a look at this next slide. There's also distorted beliefs about the truth. 70% of today's young people believe there is no absolute moral truth. This is what the stats are saying. 81% believe that all truth is relative to the individual and his or her circumstances. Can I just say that's scary? This actually is telling people when they believe this that there is no authority in my life. I am my own God. I decide what's wrong and right or wrong based on my circumstances and how I feel inside. Let's have a look at what the scripture says. John 14, 6. It says, I am the way and the truth and the life. So Jesus directly argues this fact and says, I am the example, I am the way, I am the truth and the life. And Jesus actually, in the book of Genesis, was the word, he was the beginning of the word, he is the word, he will always be the word. Jesus Christ, in fact, is the exemplified version of the word of God. So when Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, he's also saying, I am the word, which means I am the Living truth. Now, let's put it this way. How do we build on our revelation of Jesus? Do we build on our revelation of Jesus of how many goosebumps we get in a worship service? 
do we believe on our revelation of Jesus based on how much we like a worship song? Do we believe on our, our revelation of, of what really the word of Jesus says based on a couple of key sermons that we find are really kind of cool and kind of get me fired up online? No. We use the word of God to actually cement the truth in our life. We've got to go to Scripture. Now, you may be sitting here, church member, you may be sitting here, brother or sister, saying, well, this is obvious, Pastor Brad. Well, I want to say this to you. There are thousands of Christians feeding on their revelation of Jesus by listening to just a couple of cool worship songs and listening to a couple of key preachers who are charismatic, and that's mainly how they feed their revelation of Jesus. They feel it on, they feed it on feelings. Wow, that was a good sermon. Ooh, got me fired up. Ooh, that was a good worship song. Mm, I feel good. Oh, yeah. There has been a falling away of people actually feeding off the word, studying scripture, getting good doctrine. Let me say this to you. My challenge is, if you want to be on target, not just float away, but be on target, be a straight shooter, be sharpened in the things of God. God's calling us to, again, look at what's the foundation like in the Word of God. Let's have a look at this next point. There are distorted beliefs about reality. Let's look at the next slide. <clears throat> in Psalm 36, 9, God is the fountain of life, the light by which we see. And so the funny thing about distorted beliefs about reality is if, if I go back to the 1960s, in the 1960s, there was this guy called Hugh Hefner. Anyone heard of him? We won't say what he produced. But he said this, if it feels good, do it. of young people today say you can tell if something is morally or ethically right for you by whether or not it works in your life. Listen to this. This is based on surveys. 72% of young people, this current generation, have said this. You can tell if something is morally or ethically right for you by whether or not it works in your life. Now watch this. Sometimes you're applying the word of God and it's not working yet. It's not manifesting yet. Faith comes by the evidence of things not yet seen. So if you come in and you have a little bit of this kind of worldly kind of thinking that's a part of your foundation, you might be pursuing the principles of God. You may be pursuing the promises of God. You might be walking some things out, trying to get on track, trying to hit the bullseye by following the word of God, building the foundation. But if you're not seeing the fruit manifest, you may be tempted to think, well, if it's not working yet, maybe it's not right. And on the other side, you may choose to actually do something that's in disagreement to the Word of God because it's working for you. And that can help to justify why I should just keep doing it because it feels good or it looks good or it feels right. For example, you might be in a relationship where you're doing something that's not aligned to the Word of God, but it just kind of feels all good. So you keep doing it. See, this is what this is saying here. See, if you think about 72% of young people today say if you can... You can tell if something is morally or ethically right for you by whether or not it works in your life. That is a false belief. That is a distorted belief about reality. Because if it works, listen to this. 
If cheating on a test works, it must be ethically right. Come on now. If stealing some clothes works, it's ethically right. If lying to your boss works, it's ethically right. But where does this lead us to? Come on now. Where does that kind of wrong foundational thinking lead us to eventually? Let's go there. Where does that lead us to? If committing adultery makes you feel good. If killing your neighbor to hide an indiscretion works, and when we underline the word killing, it may not be physically, but it might be through slander. I actually made the mistake, but I'm going to cover it up by blaming someone else. And then I'm going to worship God on Sunday. Everyone look at me. Can everyone see my eyes? Who knows that Brussels sprouts is good for you? Yeah? Who knows that fairy floss tastes good? Sickly sweet, right? Does it provide you with nutrition? Right. Does Brussels sprouts taste good? Sometimes. Depending on if you like it and how it's cooked, steamed with butter. But it's good for you. Oh, this word is not sickly sweet. But it's good for you. This word may, in fact, save some future marriages. Thought about that? This word that the Holy Spirit's bringing this morning may, in fact, save some people who are justifying falling into temptation and giving them a good, solid boundary check, which will help them. Psalm 36.9 says, God is the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Next slide. Question. How can I trust the Bible? How can I trust the Bible? How can I trust the fact that The Bible says not to sleep before you get married. How can I trust the Bible? How how can I confidently go, yeah, I'm gonna really I'm gonna commit to that rather than just oh this is that's that's tradition. That's just what religious people think. It's not really God. There's more freedom in God. How can I trust the Bible? I want to deal with this 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 morning as we come to a close. Next slide. Number one, the Bible is God breathed. It is God-breathed. Let's have a look at this scripture here. In 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking. Yeehaw, rebuking. Who likes being rebuked? Wave at me. <laughs> right? What does rebuking mean? Let me give you an example of when Jesus rebuked the disciples. Get behind me, Satan. It's so funny, you know, all, all the Christian leadership books now, it's like, you know, when you correct people, you've got to do it in love. I totally agree with that, you know. So, you know, the whole thing around the sandwich technique, who's heard of the sandwich technique? You know, you're amazing, we love you, I love these qualities about you, there's a piece of bread. 
in regards to this, which is the meat, I think that what you could really do is work on this and this, don't you think? Awesome, okay. Overall, I think at the end of the day, you're a great person, you're moving forward. <laughs> and I respect Christian leadership books. And Jesus definitely showed ex examples of leading with love. But at times, with his disciples, he said, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> he didn't say, Hey, Peter. <laughs> By the way, nice hairdo today. <laughs> hey, you know what? What I really love about you, Peter, is you're faithful and you're loyal. But right now, when you're kind of just chastising me a little bit about why I'm ministering to these people and why we shouldn't go there, just kind of felt my spirit a little bit that <laughs> maybe what you were instructing me to do wasn't quite aligned to what I felt Father God was saying. So with that in mind, thank you for your thoughts. But at this point, I think we're going to continue. At the end of the day, I do, though, truly value your input and your friendship, brother. I love you. Is that cool? Come on now. Some of us as Christians have gotten so used to Love me, love me well, love me even weller than that. Give me grace, give me mercy, forgive me, encourage me. Whatever you do, do not rebuke me. <laughs> because if you do, my whole world will just fall apart. Think I'll recover <laughs> ever. <laughs> I just think we're all in for an awesome shock when we get to heaven. <laughs> And we're expecting Jesus to be by the little pond stroking the lambs, <laughs> flicking back his long hair with his 1970s banner, I mean headband. Oh, come, come to the lake and drink, my, my sheep. <laughs> Whereas actually he's going to be like this, all right, let's do this. Let's expand the kingdom. For my glory! Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to like, oh my goodness. <laughs> this is forever. <laughs> uh. <clears throat> oh dear. Okay, next slide. To Peter one twenty one, for prophecy never had its origin. This is talking about the the, the the scripture is God breathed. Okay, the notion that it was just written by a couple of men who had goodwill and you know they were kind of just inspired by the universal energy. See, <laughs> so the world will try and tell you that it's all the same. You know, it's all you know, it's all the same. No, it's not. 
For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is God. Do you know the Word of God is God? Do you know the Word of God is not just Scripture so much? It's God. It's God's Word. It's eternal. It is God. When you read the Word of God, when you speak out the Word of God, you are literally interacting with the power of God. And so what level of value do you put on the Word of God? Do you just look at it as a couple of principles that we're supposed to live by, or do you see it as God? Do you know you, you're, you're called to have a relationship with the Word of God? You're called to be in communion, in, in intimacy with the Word of God. It's literally your, your food. It, it's, it's your fuel. It's your source. It, it's your direction. It's your guidance. It's, it's your, your inner navigational system. It is the core of your essence. The Word of God is your anchor. It is everything about your identity in Christ being anchored to it, being cemented to it. And so this is why it's so important around us building the right foundation and understanding that the local church is about connecting with the local church to help make sure that we build the right foundation. That we have teachers, we have mentors, we have people who, yes, correct us and rebuke us sometimes when we're getting off because we think we know what we're talking about or we're feeding off something that's actually getting us off track, but we're completely blind to it because we don't understand that it's actually not on target. It's not right on target. There are things that we're feeding on that are off that are going to get us off our assignment. Number two, the Bible is trustworthy. So the Bible is God breathed. You know, we're answering this question. How can I trust the Bible? I'm going to ask for an instrumentalist to come as we close. How can I trust the Bible? The Bible is God breathed. The Bible is trustworthy. There's so many things that we could talk about here. Um, amazing uh, different elements that we could talk about uh, around <coughs> the, the history of the Bible. And if you, if you study its authenticity and its the, the, the backing up of the sources and everything and all, all the, the wonderful history around the foundation of as, as Scripture was being written and it being backed up. But the, the one thing I want to hone in on is the prophecies throughout the Bible that had to come to pass talking about the Messiah. And these prophecies are filtered throughout all these different books of the Old Testament that were written thousands of years apart. But the Bible said that all of these prophecies had to come to pass within the time of Jesus. So the prophecies, the list of prophecies that I'm about to read out represent thousands of years in span of when they were written through human beings, God breathed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But they all had to come to pass within a time frame within the walk of Jesus on earth. The Messiah had to be betrayed by a friend in Psalm 41.9. He had to be sold for 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11.12. Forsaken by disciples in Zechariah 13.7. Silent before his accusers in Isaiah 53.7. Crucified with thieves in Isaiah 53.12. Lots cast for garments in Psalm 22.18. Darkness over the land in Amos 8.9. Buried in a rich man's tomb in Isaiah 53.9. And that's just the beginning of the list. This word, this Bible, 
is indestructible. Absolutely indestructible. How much, how much do you love the Word of God? Do you want a relationship with the Word of God? Do you want to build a foundation? Oh, can I say this to you? Your faith will not be solidified by your consumption of Christian goods. All the amount of resource that we have access to in today's world. Music, sermons, preaching, conferences, snippets of words, fan pages. It's a sea of resource. But yet the anchor that should be right in the middle of that sea that you go from the surface of the water through the depths of the water to the seafloor that represents your faith is like a cylinder that everything else should surround and that core needs to be the word of God Hey, if you're here today and you're building your foundation on listening to a, your favorite worship song over and over and over and over and over again via iPod, hey, first of all, I want to say um, that's awesome. You're hungry and it's awesome you're getting into worship and a particular worship song that's caught your heart. But can I say this to you? There's way more than that. Your identity in Christ will not be solidified or strengthened by just listening to a worship song because you like the beat, you like the lyrics, or it gives you goosebumps. I've got no disrespect for melody. Melody is very powerful. Worship is very powerful. But make sure you're feeding on the Word of God. This scripture here, Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. When you build the Word of God in your life, you get on target because you're literally building eternity into your identity. It's an eternal source of truth. Let's have a look at this next slide. Isaiah 48 says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. There's been times when I've had to make some of the most difficult, challenging decisions in ministry, in business, in life. And every time I've made a decision and I've used the word of God as the, as the anchor to making the decision, it's always gone well. Next slide. Psalm 1989. Your word, O God, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Use the word of God to test your situation. Use the Word of God to test the idea, the opinion, the thought, the decision that you're contemplating, the feeling, the emotion, the storm cloud. Use the Word of God as your filter because it does not return void. You will always win 
Long term, you'll always win when you base your decisions on the Word of God. But here's the key. What are you feeding on to build that base? Get around like-minded people who've got good fruit in their life and make sure that what you're feeding off is aligned to truth and not false doctrine. Next slide. <clears throat> We're going to finish with this. I ask everyone to stand as we come to a close. Is the truth in the book transforming you? I don't know why that last line's there. That should be gone. <laughs> That's hilarious. In order to achieve time travel. I think that line was not erased from the template. <laughs> hilarious. I love that. No, we don't believe in time travel in this church. That's what you're wondering. kind of close this is what I want you to do I'm not going to lead you in prayer this morning I'm going to put, get you put your hand on your heart this is what I want you to do I want you to ask God what's the main area in your life so think about a, a piece of the pie of your life there's all the different things that we do in life relationships finances work home life, family, our faith. <clears throat> and I want you to ask God, what's the one area in your life that you need a fresh injection of the foundation of the Word of God? For example, if you're in a relationship right now and you're not married, can I challenge you that you need to look at the foundation of your beliefs around what you should and should not be doing during that relationship. I think that would be very healthy. That's one example, right? But just let's bow our heads, close our eyes. <clears throat> Father, as people are praying, I pray, Lord, that you would reveal to every individual, Lord, a key area that you'd ask them to revisit the foundation of the Word of God in that area of their life. That, Lord, from today, Lord, they would go and study Scripture, and they'd become more of a student of your word in that particular area to do with scripture and what the word says. To help to build in a stronger base of foundation of the word of God in that area of their life. Father, if there's more than one area, let, let, let it be known to them. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would highlight the priority of where people are to invest time right now in this season around the foundation of the word. Lord, I thank you, Father, that today, as through me, you've released some interesting and specific examples of where people can get off track. Father, I pray, Lord, that people would receive the teaching today with a heart of humility and with a heart of understanding that, God, you want to help us, not just spiritually, but also practically. And Lord, not only do you want us to launch us forward, but you want to protect us and keep us so that we don't fall into the traps or the temptations that life can bring. So, Father, I thank you, Lord, that with a humble heart today, Lord, this church would receive your teaching, Father. Lord, because you're helping us to stay on track, 
You're helping us to stay on target. Lord, you're calling us to move forward. And Father, I thank you, Lord, where people have been off track, where they've been moving to the left or to the right. Lord, where they've been maybe allowing worldly teaching or wrong doctrine to influence or justify their opinions. Father, I pray, Lord, for a realignment right now by your Spirit. And Lord, that they will respond to your word and your teaching today to get them back on track. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. All right, let's give him some praise. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to do part two. It's very different next Sunday. It's pretty much a whole different on the theme, but it's a whole different topic. All right that I think is going to be really important for everyone to be here for. So we'll see you next time.